Many of us have come to realize that the fact that Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, died on Passover was no coincidence, but instead this has been a prophetic fulfillment of something that the Father has been planning from the beginning. But many of the things that we think about when we think about how Yeshua fulfilled the Passover have actually been very surface level. But when we dig deeper underneath the surface of the story of the Exodus, where the Passover initially started, we discover parallels and lessons that the Father is teaching us about Christ's sacrifice that is deeper than ever before. But to really understand Passover, the death of Christ, we must understand the feast of first fruits and the resurrection of Christ. First fruits is a feast that comes straight after Passover, and it happened on the day of Yeshua's resurrection. In fact, Paul writes regarding it, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament, it seems like the Bible always makes such a big deal about the firstborn blessing? You know, you have Jacob and Esau, you know, how they are. There's that contention over the firstborn blessing and the stealing of the blessing throughout these generations from Abraham onwards. Everyone is all about the firstborn blessing. And if you go back and you think, where does this come from? We think about the firstborn Adam and Adam fell. But then we have a new firstborn, a second Adam come into the world. That is Christ. And as he comes into the world as the firstborn of God, the second Adam, he comes to set all things straight that Adam faced. This whole story of the firstborn is illustrated step by step for us in the story of the Exodus. I mean, think about how crazy this actually gets, because we have the first plague. Right. That is how the water was turned to blood. And that is really a warning of what the last plague in Egypt will be the death of the firstborn. And when we go to the life of Yeshua, the first recorded miracle in his ministry is when he told his mother, it's not my time yet. But yet she asked him to turn water into wine. And that similarly beckons to the last plague that will come upon Yeshua's life when he is crucified. Because see, when he sits with his disciples at the Passover, he says, look at this wine. This represents my blood that is spilled for you. The wine at the wedding, the first miracle is just like it is a, a, a picture of the last event of his life, just like Pharaoh's uh, water that turns into blood. That first plague in Egypt is the warning and the beckoning to the last plague that will actually happen to Pharaoh's very first born. In fact, that is why when Yeshua was on the cross, the very last thing that happens to him is a 
his spear is pierced into his side and blood and water pours out of him. Again, a symbol pointing back again, connecting it to the story of Egypt with the water that turns to blood. But why is God creating these connections? You see, what you must understand is that Pharaoh in Egypt was seen as a god. That's why he had the snake symbol on his forehead. And so when God came to pour out plagues upon Egypt, this was him demonstrating that he is the one true God and Pharaoh is a false God. But see, now look at the difference. We have Pharaoh's firstborn who dies because of the sins of his father. And now we have Yeshua, on the other hand, who dies, the firstborn, for the sins of Israel. In fact, Israel put the blood on the doorpost, the blood symbolizing the blood of Christ, covering their sins and sheltering them. See the contrast is staggering because Pharaoh's son really dies for nothing. There's no redemptive power. There's no resurrection in the firstborn deaths in Egypt. They die and no one is saved in their place. But on the other hand, we have Yeshua who dies, but he, because he is the second Adam, because he is the firstborn of God and sinless and pure, he is resurrected from the dead. And because he is resurrected, It's not just for himself's sake, but it means that we have a hope of a resurrection too. We have a hope of a life too. And that's why Israel was in their homes with the blood of Yeshua on their doorposts. And they were sheltered from the death angel who passed everyone by. Because see, all the people, whether in Israel, whether in Egypt, they all had sin. They were all wrong. They all had mistakes. They were all worthy of dying by the hand of the death angel. But the only thing that could set them apart is the blood on that doorpost. The fact that they were covered by the faith they had in his sacrifice. While Pharaoh put his faith in himself and that he is God and that he can save his country and he can save his people and he can even save his firstborn. But instead, his firstborn dies even because of his own sins and no one can save Pharaoh from himself. In fact, the consequence of what Pharaoh faced was spelled out in the book of Exodus 20 verse 5 where he says, you shall not bow down to idols or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This is the very curse that came upon Pharaoh. His child was killed by the death angel. He suffered the sins of his father. But now see when we read in Jeremiah, when he explains the new covenant that Christ brings and he talks similarly about generational curses, see what he says. He says in Jeremiah 31 verse 29, in those days they shall no longer say, 
The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You see, within this new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah explains, he says that we will not be held liable for the sins of our fathers like it was before in past times. Instead, we will be able to all be covered by the blood of Christ as we repent of our sins, of our own sins. Yet we will also then, of course, be accountable to Yeshua for our own actions. But this freedom is introduced to all who would put the blood of Christ on their doorposts. Kasim, brothers and sisters, we all know that we can look at our lives and we can look at the lives of others. We can look at their parents and we can see, look at the patterns in the world. Look at how the children suffer for the sins of the parents. Look at how things that the parents did wrong and happened as are happening in the parents' lives are happening in the lives of the children. But he is saying in Christ, he comes and he breaks the curse. He comes and he breaks the ties of sin off of us. Even though people have sinned, even though people have wronged, even though people have done things, we will not fall under judgment for what was done in the past. We will not be like Pharaoh's son who who died for the sins of his own father. But because of our love for Christ, we will be set free. But see, in order for us to be able to have Christ, to actually be able to partake in who he is, we must do so according to the commandment. Because what he told Israel is he says, when you eat of it in Exodus 12, 10, you will let none of it remain until the morning. And he says, anything that remains until morning, you will burn. The biggest problem that is faced by many Christians today is that they want to have a little bit of Yeshua today, a little bit of Yeshua tomorrow. And and, you know, we we take him piece by piece. We we kind of take it slow and because we're too afraid of letting completely go of the world because we kind of want a part of the world and we kind of want what Yeshua has to offer. We kind of want it all because it's that we want to concoct this thing that we want for ourselves. But God says, if you want uh, to partake in the Passover, if you actually want that blood on your doorpost, there is a certain means of doing so. You must commit. You cannot say, oh, I'll leave some of it for the morning. I'll leave some of Yeshua for tomorrow. The fool says in his heart, I'll work for God tomorrow. I'll think about God tomorrow. When, when in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 14, Paul writes and he says, Timothy, do not neglect the gift that was given to you. Do not let the fire go out. Do not let what God is giving you pass away because you put him off for tomorrow. Because ultimately the anointing that you leave for tomorrow will not be there for you anymore. Listen to me, brothers and sisters, the anointing you leave for tomorrow that you say, I will get to that later. God, I'm busy with life right now. You will lose the anointing. 
God is calling us back to a deeper place than ever before because he wants to entrust us with greater things than ever before. But it's going to mean that we need to be willing to give him greater pieces of our life. Greater sacrifice is what the Holy Spirit desires. You see, when Yeshua was on that cross, pierced in his side and blood and water poured out, you must understand that the water representing the Holy Spirit and the blood representing the sacrifice to the blood that was spilled for our sins, the remission of our sins. You need to understand that ultimately it is like at the wedding of Cana, the, the water was turned to wine representing blood. We have the, the, the first plague in Egypt. The water is turned again into blood. Why? Because ultimately the Holy Spirit leads us to the blood, to the spilling of blood, to the sacrifice that we must make in our lives. And yes, it's a different type of sacrifice, a living sacrifice. You see, Yeshua, God says, look, my Holy Spirit, I give to you and people are like, yes, give me Holy Spirit. I want Holy Spirit. But they don't understand that what the Holy Spirit requires and asks of us is a great sacrifice on our end to give our lives, ambitions and everything that you want up this day to have him. You see, people have said, oh, you get Jesus for free. You don't have to do anything. That's the biggest lie ever. It's a it's an insult to the gospel and the cross because he wants your life. There is sacrifice that he demands. He said to Peter, give up everything and follow me. Leave it all behind and follow me. Rich man, sell all you have and follow me. And the one who is not willing to do that, to die to himself and pick up his cross is not worthy to be my disciple is what Yeshua says. Don't tell me there's no cost. Don't tell me that there is nothing to give up here. God says, I need you to make a sacrifice too. I gave you my son. What will you give? I died for your sins. I was the one who actually faced the sins of the world on my shoulders. What will you give up to follow me? See, brothers and sisters, it's time. The time is up for us to be one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. He will push us out. There is no gray area. There is no lukewarm that those are vomited out of his mouth. There is hot or cold. Who are you? I would rather that you be cold and unbelieving than in between lukewarm. And if you don't understand what I'm going on about, it's because you don't understand how temporary this world really is. And that's why when God instructed regarding the Passover, he said in Exodus 12 verse 11, in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You see, there's two things you must see in here. First off, he says, go in haste. You see, when Israel was about to leave Egypt, they were ready to leave. While the world and those in Egypt, they thought, what is there to leave for? We are comfortable here. We have everything we need. And so it is in the world. People in the world are comfortable here. They say, where do we have to go? We have a good life here. There's nothing better to go to. This is how we live and this is how we die. And this is it. But the reality is different. 
The reality is that there is a new world to come where all will be judged and all will stand before God and that this life is actually but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away forever. But yet this hope of resurrection is what we all hold to. But this does mean that we don't sleep like the nations do, that we are ready at any point to move in haste as the Lord calls us to do. Always be willing to not get too attached to the world, but willing at a moment's notice to give it all up for whatever he calls us to, whatever his voice says. And notice what he says, that they need to make sure that they have a, a belt fastened, saddles on their feet and a staff in their hand. Of course, these things are illustrated in our New Testament further. We have the belt of truth talked about as part of the armor of God. We have the, the staff, which of course we know Moses used to do mighty works of the spirit. And then ultimately we have the sandals, which of course is reminiscent of how the prophet Isaiah speaks of how amazing are the beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of salvation. And this is what is described. Notice how what God is telling us to do while we wait, while we are ready at any moment to go in haste, he says, have all your evangelistic equipment ready. Just like what he told his disciples, Yeshua said, Jesus said just before he left, be ready for my Holy Spirit to come at any moment upon you and be ready to take my word to the nations, to Samaria, to Judea and everywhere across the world. You see this great commission is even illustrated here because Moses was one of the first evangelists who walked powerfully by the demonstration of the Spirit of God. That's why he used his staff. His staff split the sea. His staff broke the rock with water pouring out of it. And that rock was Christ. And that water was the living water, the manna from heaven. He was that manna. It all was connected to him. But the point is that it is all pointing also to how we are filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead so that we can do the commission. And so when we are doing Passover, when we are thinking about all of these things, we have to ask ourselves, OK, yeah, what does it really mean to have a staff, a belt and sandals on? It all is about whether we are doing what Yeshua told us to do, because really, when he comes back, he's going to ask you, do you have sandals on your feet? Are your feet the beautiful feet of those who have brought good news, salvation to the poor? Do you have the, the belt of truth? Do you have the truth of who I am inside of you so that you can give it to others? And do you have the staff I have left for you, my Holy Spirit? But even though you're here in this world, this temporary dwelling that we are all in right now, and even though you may have a house built by the hands of men, there is a shelter, a house that no one can take from you while you are here. It says in Exodus 12, verse 46, the Passover shall be eaten in one house. 
You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. There is great safety in the shelter of the Lord. When we go and we consume Yeshua, as he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. When we partake in who he is and we become satisfied in him and we go into that shadow, that shelter under his wings and we have the blood on the doorpost. But I want you to just think deeper about this. This is the thing that man struggle with. We always want to think about what are we to do in this story of salvation. But what you must also understand is that when Israel were saved and Egypt's firstborn died, what did Israel really do differently but have faith? Israel didn't even know what the Ten Commandments were in written form yet. They haven't received it yet. They hadn't gone to Mount Sinai yet. They were pagans in their thinking clearly, but yet they were saved. And so many in the world today are in Egypt. Many in the world are enslaved to the things of the world and they do not know God. But what they need to understand is that they can come and follow him and that he can wipe away their sins and that their own works aren't going to be what saves them and cannot save them. Because ultimately, if Moses came to Israel and they were like, and he was like, Hey, Israel, you know what? We can break free from Egypt. We just need to rise up against Pharaoh. We need to just do this and that and think of all these man, man-made plans about how they're going to overcome Pharaoh and fight the chariots. And Israel would have been like, we can't do that, Moses. We know who we're up against. But see, it was because Israel believed they had faith in the living God, faith and that God was on their side. That was the thing. Think about this. That was the thing that motivated them to actually have the boldness to step out of Egypt. And it was when Moses showed the signs and wonders by the spirit of the living God that they saw and they were emboldened. How much more is that not what the world needs today? Is, does the world not need to see that demonstration of his spirit yet again? Does the world not need to see that their own works cannot save them, even though if they think they're a good person, it's not enough. But see, this means that we have this responsibility to bring good news to the contrite in heart. God calls sinners to shelter. He doesn't just come to point the finger at them. So that's why when he came to Israel, he didn't come and just point the finger and ask them why they're not doing better as human beings, why they have so many sins and why they have so many issues. Instead, he saved them first. That's what he did. Think about that. He saved them before they could do a thing really, except step out onto the water, except step out and believe. Then he saved them, snatched them out of slavery, and then he sanctified them. He gave them commandments. He made them holy. But see, that's what we need to demonstrate to the world. We are not supposed to be the people who just point the finger at the world and tell them what they're doing wrong. The world knows they're, they're convicted in their hearts already. What they need to see is the kindness, the power, the love of God. And then when they see the salvific power that he has, will they not then be inclined to listen more deeply about what they need to change? Of course, we preach repentance. Of course, that's important. It's always at the forefront of our preaching. But what I am saying is that if we don't preach the salvific 
power and love of God that has come for sinners first, we miss the mark because Yeshua said, look, I did not come for the righteous. I did not come for those who think they've got it all figured out. I have come for those who are sick. Does not those who are sick need a physician? And he was ironically speaking to the Pharisees who rejected him, who thought they were well, but they were the sickest of them all. And we have to be careful so that we walk in Yeshua's footsteps so that we similarly think, wow, I want to go to those who are sick. I want to go. I want to have a compassionate heart to those who are in sin, to those who are lost, who are enslaved in Egypt. I want the heart of Yeshua because that will unlock their hearts to receive the truth. But all of this is a journey not a one or two step process. Then he invites us into a journey of sanctification, a journey even that involves a wilderness. I mean, many people have this perception of baptism, right? Because that's the beginning of the journey. You know, oh, when I get baptized, my life is going to get perfect. When I get baptized, all my issues are going to be gone. Poof. I'm going to be delivered from everything. I'm never going to have an issue again. I'm never going to have a trial again. But the problem is, is that the pattern is that when Israel came out of Egypt, they went through the splitting of the sea and Paul writes that that Red Sea splitting where they walked through was symbolic of their baptism. And similarly, just as Israel was then after their baptism in the Red Sea, straight into the wilderness. What happened with Jesus? Yeshua got baptized and it said the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. The same thing. I mean, I thought that this was a promise of have your best life now. Instead, we get a welcome to the wilderness. You see, the Holy Spirit is described as the comforter. But why would then the Holy Spirit be leading Yeshua to the wilderness? How, how can the comforter lead us to a place of discomfort to be tempted by the discomforter, Satan? See, freedom does not mean worldly comfort. There is a difference. In fact, the comforter is there to be with us when we are in need of being comforted, when we are in need to be filled by him, to be strengthened by him, to be satisfied in him, despite the letdowns that the world brings. And we all will face all wildernesses. Yeshua didn't go through the wilderness so that we don't have to. In fact, you see, just like Yeshua went through the wilderness, which was a contrast of the garden. You see, Yeshua, the second Adam, went to the wilderness. Adam, the first Adam, went in, was in the garden. They, he fell. The garden got destroyed. The, the creation was corrupted. And now we have a wilderness. And Yeshua enters that wilderness. And he in that place, just like Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil, Yeshua is tempted by that same devil, but he overcomes. Here, I'll give you the riches of the world. I'll give you anything you desire. But he says, I will live by nothing but by the word of God. And in the same way, we all as individuals, we will get baptized and we will enter our wildernesses because we each need to face off with Satan. 
but we are empowered by the one who empowered Yeshua, the Holy Spirit. So when Satan comes to us and he will, he will ask us, do you not wish to have this? What I have to offer you the things of this world. Why don't you just bow down to me? I'll give you anything your heart desires. Many people have done so in this world already, and they have received those things. Its conclusion is death. But ultimately, when we hold on to the Holy Spirit's guidance, our comforter to guide us in this time of discomfort, surely we overcome because Yeshua has overcome and he is with us. He will never leave us, he has said. And just as he ultimately was resurrected, we are resurrected. But the biggest danger that we likely face was the very thing that Israel fell into when they were in the Exodus complaining. Yeshua never complained once, even though he had a lot to complain about. But yet we are also faced with the temptation to complain to God. You see, what's really interesting about food, which is the very thing that Israel complained about, all the time. Uh, we don't want the manna. We want the leeks. We want the melons. We want all the nice things we had back in Egypt. I don't know if you've noticed this though, but no matter how good the food is, I mean, you can pick any food you want. Dad, what food would you eat the rest of your life? Maybe he'll say, oh, I'll eat pizza. I love pizza. Maybe you'll ask mom, mom, what would you be able to eat for the rest of your life? If you can only eat one type of food, mom would maybe say, oh, oh I'll eat vegetables the rest of my life because she's very responsible and health conscious. And then you'll ask uh, little baby, what do you want to eat for the rest of your life if you had anything to eat? And little baby will say, well, I'll, I'll eat gummy bears. I'll eat candy the rest of my life. That sounds amazing. But we all know that no matter what it is, how healthy it is, what it is we pick, it doesn't matter because at some point it gets tiring to eat the same thing over and over and over again. It gets boring. It gets stale to do so. And so for many of us, it has become like that with our faith, even something that has become boring for us. Our fire has started to go out. But the reality is, is we've actually not been feeding on the right thing. And then we are tempted to just return to what the world had to offer the world's melons. But I want to remind you of something that Yeshua told his disciples, speaking of a food that he has. You see, he just got done speaking with the Samaritan woman. And just as she left, the disciples asked him, do you want anything to eat? Are you not hungry, Rabbi? And he says to them, I have a food that you do not know about that satisfies me. And they they are kind of confused. Well, what do you mean you, you, you ate? We didn't see you eat. What kind of food you're talking about? But see, the food was what he just did before that. And that's what we've been missing. You see, the thing that satisfied Yeshua was him actually walking out what the Holy Spirit commissioned him to do. That is what satisfies him. He becomes food unto himself. You see, he being a light to the Samaritan woman, because remember, he said, 
I am the living water and whoever drinks of me will never go thirsty again and in him will spring up a well of living water too. He is saying, I am the well of living water. He pours out his water for her and in that moment he becomes satisfied in his flesh himself even, not hungry any longer. And in Luke 17 verse 21, he describes this new food that will be in our midst. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What is it that, that of God that has entered our midst? It's the Holy Spirit. You see, when Yeshua was speaking to the Samaritan woman, he told her there's coming a time when they won't worship on this mountain or that mountain at this temple or that one. But in spirit and truth, my people will become temples and worship me all everywhere they go, because in them will be the fountain of living water because they have drunk from me. In them, they will become, they will become the bread of life. They will, he said himself, even I am the light of the world. But in another place, it is written, you are the light of the world because he recognized that you, we are supposed to become that imitation of him that becomes so real and close in likeness that people won't even see the difference. When they see us, they see him. We become all of this, but the way that we get satisfied is in becoming the bread, is in becoming the light. But see, we, we ask ourselves, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm, I'm trying to be religious, but yet I feel like I'm starving. I'm trying to be religious, but I feel like my fire is going out. I feel like I'm, this is like, this is like having eaten pizza for too many days in a row or whatever. This is how we feel. But the reality is, is even though we do all these religious things sometimes, which a lot of it is good. But the problem is, is we have not become the living waters. We have not become the bread. We have not become the light. And some of us have become a temple that is dead, a temple that has no one inside, lock gates. And because our gates are locked, and no one is allowed inside to partake in the bread that's in the Holy of Holies. So we starve with them because it's as they partake that we partake. That is who we have been called to be in this world. And so when we fail the great commission that Christ has left for us, we scratch our head and ask, why do we feel unsatisfied? Even though we believe it's because we don't do what he said we should do in order to be satisfied, to eat of the bread that Yeshua talked about, where he said, I have food that you don't know about. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you from myself, just personal testimony. I have spent days where we have done outreaches for hours. And at the end of the day, even though I have not eaten a piece of bread, I was not hungry. I felt satisfied in my stomach to the brim because that is the food that Yeshua talked about. It's not just symbolic speech. So, yes, you can get tired of pizza. You can get tired of vegetables and you'll probably get tired of eating too many gummy bears. But whatever food it is, if there is a food that you need to choose to eat, it is Yeshua himself and delivering Yeshua to people around you. That is the food that will satisfy you forever. That is the water that you will drink that will fill you forever. When you enter that, you will realize this is what I was made for. This is who I actually am. I have been made to shine the light of who he is to the world around me. And that is the Passover. That is why the firstborn 
is the firstborn. He came to set things straight. So you have a choice. Will you choose the path of Pharaoh to trust in yourself, your own devices, to think that you can save yourself and your children and your firstborns? Or will you decide I cannot do any of this? It is but by the blood that's on the doorpost that will be able to save my family from the death angel that's about to pass over the world. Father, I pray that you would stir your people in their hearts, Lord, to enter this calling. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take them into a deeper place than ever before of becoming who you called us to be. Lord, we want to be more like you, God. We want to become more satisfied in you and we want to become the light that others can see you in. We want to be able to have others find satisfaction in you, God. Lord, we ask that you would train us up in this coming year. We ask that you would open doors of opportunity for us to enter this in new ways. Father, we thank you for your pass over sacrifice for us, for dying for our sins and raising as we can be raised. Father, we thank you. We thank you. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. I want to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this Passover teaching and every other teaching this month possible. If you want to join in helping make this channel possible, visit riseonfire.com. Hey guys, if this teaching has blessed you, make sure that you click up here and you can have a look at our Father's Festivals playlist where we go through many of the biblical feasts. There are way more teachings on the Feast of Passover as well as all the other biblical feasts. Go check it out, subscribe, like this video, share it with your friends. Thank you for tuning in.